Y-Hockey periodically reminding you that the first 54 minutes thereabouts of our last podcast are a completely irrelevant podcast. Talk about a dynamic shift in, in, I don't want to say destiny, but I guess we'll go with alliteration there. I want to say that not often on Y-Hockey do we suffer what I'm going to call podcaster disease. Although, I don't know if there's actually a term for it. I need to ask some people whether there's a term for this, which is you record a podcast, you edit it, you put it all together, you're proud of it, you post it, and then somehow later in the day or the next day, news breaks that renders it totally irrelevant. We had to joke about it. We do. Well, I mean, I don't care about that sort of thing because I've dealt with it already. I've told this story before and I'll tell it again. I was hosting a Maryland sports podcast all the way back 2018. And I had recorded a really long podcast with a couple of people on, this was in the DJ Durkin situation, if you don't know. He was running a practice where a player overheated, went to the hospital, never came out, sadly, uh, Jordan McNair. And we were going through that day, and we were recording a show, because it looked like he was going to get brought back as coach. And we went through all of the angles of whether that would matter or not. And then I got a text at like 4 o'clock. I recorded that one in the morning. I get a text at like four in the afternoon and like they fired him. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So I scrambled and called my podcast co-host and I'm like, buddy, we got to do another podcast. Like right now they fired him. And I was just like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I did well, all of that, that. And then six hours later, it's worthless. But it's for the good reasons. And one would argue that for the same, it's for good reasons. Oh this no, time it's always too, for good so. reasons that I don't mind doing it. I love podcasting, but <laughs> I just find that podcasting disease, as I describe it, is really kind of funny. I have to admit, it is kind of an amusing thing. So, so yeah, let's get. Well, let's it's get also it's also better that. than talking about everything else that's going on in the world of hockey, which is the stuff in the podcast that is not irrelevant and you should still very much listen to, which is sadly the sexual assault discussion. Uh, the hearings on hockey can are going on in Parliament right now if you want to follow that, and Jake Vertanen was also found not guilty of sexual assault. Remember when I said the justice system doesn't deal well with sexual assault cases? Yeah. So please go listen to that discussion. Everything on the flyer still holds. Everything on a bunch of other teams we talked about still holds. Um, and so I encourage you to listen I would, to that. I would also just say for the flyers, uh, this is what aggressive retooling looks like. You are absolutely right, because this is exactly what the Flyers would have done in a past life and are not able to somehow do now. The Panthers are up against the cap, over the cap, and they still made this trade. So I want to start with two things about this trade. Two things that have not really been mentioned anywhere else in the same level that we've seen quite a few angles of this trade talked about. The first of which is, when I saw that Fridge tweet, the first thing I thought of, and I don't know if you thought of it, but I certainly did, when I wrote about Paul Maurice... And the coaching change. The first thing I thought about was the history of the Florida Panthers and overcorrection slash overreacting. I wondered to myself, what about this? And I'm going to read the first paragraph of my piece. You can go read it. It's always still relevant. But Florida Panthers history isn't defined as much by losing as much as it is by overreaction and overcorrection. Whenever there is positive momentum, something negative always looms over that success like a smoky haze. The 2016 offseason is a perfect example of the franchise's tendency to overreact, and then in that case, they spent four years chasing those demons away. I'm not saying that this is the same thing, because it probably isn't, because Bill Zito is not Dale Talon, and the front office actually agrees with itself. But how could I not think about that tendency in Panthers history when you see a trade like this after they won the President's Trophy? Uh... 
I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I can get into whether it's an overreaction or not. We'll talk about that uh, during the show. Could, I just felt like I needed to bring yeah, that up because I mean, this whole thing is part of the discussion. We need to talk about it. it. It is it is a shift. I mean, what Zito said in the press conference was, I wasn't looking to change the core. That the ret- you know, at the end of the year, he said he needs to take some time to go away review things and come away with a plan. He did so, and what he came away with wasn't um, breaking up the core. But then Wednesday, he got a call from Kachuk's agent saying he was one of the three teams. You know, St. Louis being the other one, and, and then some believe Carolina or some other low state or, you know, no state tax team. Uh, I, think, I think we have evidence it's Carolina. Yeah, so, you know, so then Zito's takeaway from that was, you know, in speaking with the front office was this was something worth pursuing at the cost that it ultimately ended up being, which I initially balked at, you know, like my, you know, that is a very high price to pay um, for, for one asset. Now, when you break down the caps and um, you know, you, you do it solely on like the contracts and stuff like that, it makes a little more sense with, you know, Calgary's risks and, and stuff involved. But and also, and we're going to talk about this too, I think Bill Zito and his front office definitely believe in aging curves at the very least. Yes. And I also think it's, you know, realistic to, to think that they wanted to extend the window and wanted to try to do their best to avoid their cap issues. Um, But also at the same time, you have to question you know, what they need to do to not take a year off, you know, instead, you know, extending the window is great, but making sure that they're still making progress next year. Um, And, you know, that means winning and being more in control of playoff series. So the other thing that we need to mention, and again, I don't think it's been mentioned all that much until Matthew Kachuk said it, which was, you can't tell me this isn't a response to the Tampa Bay Lightning and everything the Tampa Bay Lightning do. Because that was my second I, I don't. I don't like to – I'm not trying – I don't think – I don't like to read it in, in that way. I think, you know, I – maybe this is self-serving, but I like to read it in the way that, you know, they saw what not – they saw what being reliant on the rush offense being, you know, one dimensional high octane offensive team got them in, in a year. And they, they threw away a really, a really good chance to go far in the playoffs to, to win a Stanley cup. And you can say it's an overreaction, but what they're trying to accomplish is, diversifying their game and making and making sure that at the start of this season they're in a position to start building that style of hockey um and then for me it becomes you know interpreting the degrees of how they've done that and then what steps they need to do to continue to make the team better because you know 
you can argue the team's better three or four years out from now um, instead of re-signing Huberto and Uyghur. But it, it's it's tough to look at it that they're better this year. They are uh, demonstrably regular season worse this year. I thought that was the case before all of this happened, and now I am 100% sure that they are yeah, demonstrably and, regular season worse. Whether that means playoff worse is another di- uh, discussion we have to have, but regular season worth, uh, worse, it's 100% true. They are not going to and, get 122 is, points next year. Yeah, and then, you know, maybe they weren't going to either way because it seemed like everybody last year was playing it with inflation, you know? Like, it seemed that you look at what Calgary was able to do um, and their stats defensively and offensively and some of the, you know, Kachuk's line uh, with Goudreau and, and Lindholm, like what they were able to do five on five, and it's, you know, historic. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It is absolutely absurd. ridiculous. But there's um, another discussion to have about what that signifies and what last year, because of the pandemic, the shortened offseason, what all of that actually played in. But that's a discussion we can have a little bit later in the show. I want to start with just this, this chat first on, on Matthew Kachuk. He is an incredible hockey player. And while they gave up a lot to get Matthew Kachuk, there are very few players in the league you give up that sort of package for. And when, we, when you have yeah. the opportunity to do such a thing, and this is why those tweets when you talk about here's what the Panthers have traded and here's what they added, here's – why I don't really like those tweets because it misses fundamental context. I think when we look at just opportunities and how Bill Zito has run his team since he came to Florida, he's always willing to take risks and he's always willing to be bold and go with the courage of his convictions. We talked in our last show about how Yarmo Kekalainen does that and how that's good for the league and how Bill Zito comes from that school. And I mean, this is one of the biggest trades in the cap era, if not the biggest, and Bill Zito did something no one had ever done before with it, which is an NHL sign-and-trade. So this is what he does. And in, you, you might quibble with all of this if you want to, but, and I'm not saying you as in you, Tommy. I'm saying in general. But I really do think that you know, there's something to be said for having the courage of your convictions and putting it on the table every time you have the chance to do it. And that's what he does. And so for that reason, if you, he, he will say, like, I had a chance to get, as he did, an incredible player, and I have to take advantage of that opportunity. They don't come around very often. I, yes, and he called him generational and a unicorn. And that kind of made me cringe a little bit, though, just because I think he's unique. I mean, I think unicorn is like, you know, Makar, or yes. you know, some people say well, McDavid. Can I, can I say this? Or stuff. I think that's... We, we, we pull back to our last discussion on um, the playoffs and how I was talking about John Cooper's comments on blue-collar players playing with white-collar guys. <laughs> well, mean, they went I out mean, and got the best an, version how, of that, so... How much of a unicorn is he if, there's another, if his brother's in the same division? You know I what I mean? I don't know... How but, you would break down their two games, I might get Jack Hahn to do that because I think their two games are different. They play in different systems. They play for different teams and are asked to do different things. But we're going to find out a lot more about that this season. Uh, anyway, my point is, um, you know, I really – I think he's a great player for Barkov. He's unique. I think, um, you know, I, I – He's more of a playmaker than a shooter, I think, than what some people are giving him credit for. But 
he is going to be able to finish his chances and score goals. And playing with Barkov, it is possible he gets the 40 goals again, but I wouldn't be expecting that every year. I also don't think he needs to be scoring 40 every year to, um, you know, live up to his end of the trade deal. Um, I don't think so either. It's a, I, I think that what you have to look at with him is, as somebody pointed out on Twitter yesterday, and I really liked it, it's a dynamic that we haven't seen with Sasha Barkov before because when he played with Jonathan Huberto, for the differences in their games, they are very similar kinds of offensive players in many ways, right? It's puck possession, it's movement, it's motion. Matthew Kachuk's a little bit different in the way he plays. You know, it's a little bit more obviously hard to not to say that he isn't skilled and he couldn't cycle right. It's a hard-nosed player. He's going to get to those dirty areas a little bit differently. And somebody pointed out that it reminds them a lot of Bergeron and Marchand in their relationship, how they work together on the ice, and also just their personalities. I think that you could definitely see a world where Kachuk and Barkov have a similar kind of relationship, considering who they are as people and as leaders and how they project themselves, but also how they play. And I think that's going to add levels to Sasha Barkov's game which we talked about in the last show, like how can you get Sasha Barkov to be even better than he's been? Now you add Matthew Kachuk to it, that's going to change his game and change the little things he does, right? And I think that that is one way you talk about getting better and adding new elements to your game for the playoffs. If you play them together, which I don't know if they're going to play together to start they the season, to. they're going to they at some to. point. I mean, I think, I think if, if it's up... To make the most out of this trade and everything, you have to. I think one of the biggest issues with them last year was they were unwilling to play their two best players together in Huberto and Barkov. I don't know if there's anything more to read into that, but that was one of the, you know, one of the many coaching I thought fatal flaws: the inability to adjust and and try to, you know, go to that when things weren't working, um, you know, early enough or long enough. Um, it's so funny how we spent years talking about how the Panthers had one line that was Huberto Barkov, whoever they played with, and the rest of the team was absolutely punchless. And then last year, I really thought that it was going to be one of their strengths, that they didn't have to play them together. They were so deep that it didn't matter. And as you said, when they ended up playing together, when the team was desperate and you saw it, it didn't click the same way. You didn't yeah. see that immediate burst of, of they energy. Had... They had, you know, a bunch of forward lines that lived off the rush and lived off, you know, counterattack and playing fast. But the game slows down in the playoffs. That's something we were saying all year and that one of the things they needed to do was practice, you know, be more competitive and, and you know, from practice in the games and stuff, have more defensive edge, you know, be able to play in tighter spaces and slower paces. And they just never got to it. Even in the playoffs, they they didn't. It didn't seem like they even tried to, uh, you know, meet other teams like Washington and and Tampa on that level. And they've clearly gone in that direction with their coach, with their player acquisitions up and down the lineup, for for guys who are known for being able to think and move the puck and be in a position to play off the wall to to win battles with with and without the puck to fill lanes on back check and just consistently do it 
be competitive, uh, bring energy and practice and things like that. Um, and you know, it, I still say it's telling that Paul Maurice kept keeps pointing out that he was going to be watching like all practices from last year to see what they were doing, what they were missing in practice, uh, because he because you know there was obviously a lot of issues when it came to the playoffs. Mm, it's absolutely right, and you have Matthew Kachuk now. This is obviously the greatest example of that kind of player, and when you put it all together, you're not going to see the same Florida Panthers or anywhere even close, I think, to what we yeah, saw the last couple can't. of years. I mean, you, you'll see elements of it. It's not like it's going to go away, but the fact that last year they played at such a ferocious tempo all the time, counterattacking, you know, that kind of hockey, it's going to be yeah. a slower in air quotes game. It's not going to look slower, but it's going to be a different kind of game that they're going to play because Paul Maurice is going to know now what he has is still there. It's not like the, the fundamental makeup of the team and its core identity hasn't really changed, even if Huberto and Uyghur aren't there. But as you said, his goal is to add to that, and now he's got players who could really do it. The one thing I think you could say about you know Huberto and Uyghur and all of these other players is they played really well at the speed that the Panthers were playing at under the, the Quenville Brunette system, but how would they respond to a slower pace you know like when Mackenzie Weger really leapt forward right it was because of the Quenville system and what Joel Quenville asked of him to do right would it have worked under a slower more methodical type of offense and a type of responsibilities I I don't know and we're never going to see it in Florida we are going to see it in Calgary with with Daryl Sutter but it is a question I think we'll see it more positive in Calgary because they're a better defensive team. They, so they well, they can, have a better defensive uh, coach, that's for sure. Yeah, but, they can do the car wash there. Perhaps, but and we are going to get to that, that chat about can the Panthers' car wash from the last couple of years repeat itself as we go forward. But just on the, the levels that we see this trade, and the first one obviously is, I think, and it stands out when you think about it, Matthew Kachuk's 24 years old. To give an eight-year deal worth $9.5 million AAV and all the bonuses that they're giving out, this is a bonus-laden contract. Bill Zito uh, has gotten the AOK from Vinny Viola to write checks for $10 million on July 1st annually for years. So they believe a lot in what they're doing here. Uh, and Vinny Viola's got confidence in it, and good for him. What we yeah. see when you're giving out a contract like this to a 24-year-old and you traded away a 29-year-old with one year left, arguably one of the five best players in the Panthers' history. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That says something. And we don't know really how many negotiations there were with Bill Zito and Alan Walsh, Jonathan Uberdo's agent. We don't know how formal they were. But we're never going to know. And we're not really never going to know, but I don't think there's any way you can interpret this other than saying Bill Zito was hesitant to give Huberto the same contract or a similar type of contract that he gave to Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. I mean, it's a different type of front office in Florida. Now they are like a lot of teams like Calgary. I mean, you look at this trade, it's a trade that only gets done if you're looking at the value of contracts in like, you know, the way that advanced stats and, and this more data driven front offices uh, and hockey operation teams. 
um, have. You, you have multiple people now in your front office whose job it is is to evaluate contracts and is to plan around the cap and make sure that you can be, you know, competitive long term. And this is what you see um, in, in this trade. Uh, it's it's one of the biggest trades, and uh, you know, there's just so many angles to to process it. At. It's I'm still having tr- having trouble, you know, looking at Huber, like you said, he's probably top three in the franchise for me. It's Burry, Barkov, and and Huberdo. Um, so it's I can understand it, and you know, I'm definitely going to be able to get used to it. I, I don't mind the trade. I you know, I I. I wouldn't even say it's something I wouldn't be ecstatic to do if I was Bill Zito and I was, you know, we were thinking about how this could be a better positive, um, knowing, knowing the fact that, you know, it probably was a hundred percent unrealistic to think you weren't going to be trading Hubert Owen Uyghur at the end of the day before the season started, because it's, you couldn't have that hanging over the team going into it. And I think, um, you know, unless you were just going to most likely just keep like say Uyghur as a own, own rental for the year, just because it makes caps. They were going to do because yeah. when you think about Uyghur and I want to talk about him, obviously while we're on the subject of it, I think we're talking more about Uberto in this context, but we have to talk about Uyghur too. When Bill Zito first came to Florida, you heard trade rumors with Uyghur, right? It was Toronto. I think the deal was Dermot Johnson and a third-round pick. Obviously, the Panthers were wise not to do that because that package would have been terrible. So they kept him. But yeah. I don't think the relationship with Uyghur and the team was ever great from there because immediately this offseason, you hear Uyghurs in trade rumors. And I'm going, okay, we're here again after what we saw two years ago. And then you go, they don't – I don't think they'd want to trade him – but they're definitely open to it more than I think most teams would be with a defenseman like that. Obviously, Uyghur's growth in the last three years has been amazing. But the, the team was Ottawa, and you were thinking, well, the Panthers have to get something back from Ottawa that would be of good value to them to make a Uyghur trade, and that never happened. So when you see Uyghur included in this trade, you go, okay, you got – even if you had included Uberto in the trade, and I think they're different pieces, obviously, when you view it like this – but Bill Zito can say, okay, I don't think we were going to re-sign Mackenzie Weger to what he wanted in terms of his contract negotiations. We know what they asked for the last time. They know that it was going to be bigger this time coming around. They can say, okay, we got a franchise-type forward in a deal for Mackenzie Weger. That's good value from our perspective. We weren't going to be willing to give him a five-year, $5.56 million AAV type deal. They didn't want to do that. And so now they can say, yes, we made the trade and we got good value for him. If you're looking at it in that context, which I think is from, from Bill Zito's perspective, considering where negotiations had been before and where they were obviously going, I don't think he's going to quibble with that. And I don't think I can quibble with that if I look at it from that angle, from the Uyghur perspective specifically. Yes, and you know some might say it's unrealistic for say Florida to trade with some of the more competitive teams that would overpay for a Uyghur because of his cap hit and expiring contract. Like you know, looking at this, some of the reason Florida had to pay this much, even though the other teams like St. Louis and Carolina probably couldn't even 
come close to this trade, um, you know, matching it. So, like, in terms of that sense, it feels like a real big overpayment. But at the end of the day, you know, like, Florida gets the franchise player locked up, like you said. These They get them on one-year deals. And I, I don't know if they're going to sign. I don't know if they're going to want to. That is the question that is, is still very much hanging over my head because you, you don't know the answer to that right now. Even if they say they're interested in re-signing, of course they would be, but you and don't Florida know. Doesn't, Florida doesn't want to have to – this is a pretty safe trade as far as who they trade these guys to, and they don't have to make the – you know, they don't have to get picks. They don't have to then make those picks or move those picks to get other prospects. Or, you know, if they traded to Ottawa and they got, you know, uh, one of their young D uh, from, like, North Dakota – you know, Sanders. whether it's Sanders, it Sanders, Sanderson, but let's say it's Bernard Docker or Bernard Docker or Thompson yeah. or something and, like and, that, you know, then you have to not only get that, get, you know, okay, you got that asset, but then you have to turn that into something. Um, and yeah, maybe you could have got more pieces and parts and stuff, but it's a headache and it's, you know, it's something to do. Now the focus becomes on, okay, how can we replace Uyghur's minutes? Like we're already at the cap like we have to, we even have to figure out how to get like Duclair off LTIR if that happens, you know, in January. Um, you know, what what the heck are we going to do to? Because you have four defensemen and three guys who maybe. I mean, I really like Lucas Carlson, so I'll, so you have like you know, but your top four, your second pair is real thin. Um, your NHL like certainty. Uh, you know, you're hoping Mark Stahl can play hockey. You're hoping Matt Kirsted or somebody else is ready to step up. Um, Callie. Shalin. Shalin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Callie Shalin. I don't know yeah. if that's how you actually pronounce it. We're, I'm going to need gonna a, go a little that. assist from the Panthers front office to help me with that because I really but- – butchering last names is something that but, always makes me feel really icky for obvious reasons, so – Gonna need you, if anybody can give me the per, a correct Swedish pronunciation for such a thing, I'm sure just elite, let me know. Elite, uh, We've elite got, prospects, we yeah. have some Swedish listeners to Y Hockey. There's some Swedish journalists out there. Please, can you give us a, a little tip there? Um, I, would, I, would, uh, I would appreciate it. Anyway, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of ifs. You know, and we were talking about the Florida Panthers, you know, were able to find defensemen and turn them into somebody because of the way they played and what they asked of the defensemen to do. That's uh, going to most likely change, given everything we know now, um, you know, after the Kachuk and Huberto trade. I don't like calling it the Kachuk trade because it's arguable that Huberto is the best player in the whole deal. So, um it, that's tough for me. The biggest uh, which, trade which is in crazy. the cap era of the NHL, but that's probably is, too many words. Which is crazy because you're thinking about it. It's arguable. You know, some people would argue Huberto, all things considered, is the best is the best player in the trade right now. And they had to give up a first and Uyghur and like a middle prospect. That's ridiculous. It's it goes a huge to show you to pay. it goes to show you the name brand the Kachucks have in the NHL whether 
earned or not looking at Brady's contract, looking at Matt Kachuk's contract, looking at the trade deal, looking at how he was able to pick his uh, destination. But I, I will agree with him. He was saying that he feels he did it right. You know, as soon as he knew he went to the team, he worked it out and they were able to get this big haul uh, for Calgary that could, you know, it's up to Calgary to make work out. And, you know, he's here to make his end work out in Florida. You know, it was a very, um, this, you know. This is a very different process to the one so, we saw with Johnny Gaudreau, which was last minute felt. It didn't feel like it was handled in the way that it could have been. Now, on the other side, there's how Jonathan Huberto's reacted to it from his perspective going from Florida to Calgary. I want to get to that. But you brought up an interesting point that you want to talk about and I want to talk about, and I don't think we've talked about this as a collective on Panthers Twitter, which is not saying much enough, which is how the Panthers went from mediocre to what they have been was they developed players out of whole cloth, basically. Weaver was not out of whole cloth. He was obviously a, a good player beforehand that got better because of the coaching staff that yes, came in. But, I mean, like Forsling, Montour... Lucas Carlson, you know, Verhage, Duclair, Bennett. all the Mason Marchment, all of them. You could argue Reinhardt, yeah, Lomberg. I mean, just basically everybody that Zito has brought in has increasingly saw career highs in different categories, be able to, you know, playing at a high pace of play, being able to see increased minutes being able to pick up special teams responsibility um, in the regular season and excel at it, whether it's on the score sheet or with advanced stats. The question that we have now, though, is the Quenville Brunette system is no longer here. Well, parts of it might still be with the Panthers, but the whole thing is not here anymore. And there's Weather, a sizable chunk missing, at least. There's a sizable chunk missing of it. And, of course, Weger's not here anymore, and Uberdo's not here, and they're yeah. a big part of how the Panthers became what they became, obviously. So yeah. the question you have and the question I have is, and it's going to be very important for this year specifically because of the cap situation they now find themselves in, is how much of the car wash, as we called it, was the coach and the system how much of it was the general manager finding the players? How much of it was both? That is a question that we have no idea what the answer is going to yeah. be. And it is going to be perhaps the determining factor if the Panthers don't figure out other creative ways to get players in, which, I mean, they did just do the first ever sign and trade in NHL history, so they can be creative. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that... Zito obviously listened to our podcast, heard us say we wanted him to be punchier. We wanted him to, um, you know, bring in another top the six forward. Matthew trade is now the responsibility of your two friends here. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I think there was a lot of people who, as soon as it came out that he wanted to get traded to St. Louis, Florida, and, you know, a, whatever the three, the couple I other mean, they, teams. Nashville that was, was rumored. Vegas was rumored. Yeah. These were teams but, you would have expected. You always knew that, I mean, we kind of joked about it. I kind of tweeted from, uh, you know, Twitter, like, like you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense and it's probably going to happen, ha, ha, ha. 
uh, even though, you know, then seeing what the price was and being like, God, that seems like a lot. I hope it's for less than that. Um, I wouldn't do, I don't know if I would do that. I'd have thoughts about it, but I think it also it, falls I'm, back, I'm you know, what excited to see. MO in Florida has been, which is I look into absolutely everything, you know, even if it's not something well, you would think a team in Florida's position would look into, he looks into it. And he has to pursue it. I and, don't. I don't know if this one though. You can give it to him when. Oh no, when not in, this one. I mean, coach. the agent brought it up to him, and he's yeah. like, "Well, if you if you insist." But I mean, I I don't think past Panthers management. Well, clearly the management where they had no money wouldn't have done this. But I don't think Dale Talon would have done this even when he had the ability to spend. So it's a different mindset in the front office with somebody who is right. much more willing to be bold and to take risks. And now the Panthers theoretically aren't picking in the first round until the 2026 world cup, which yeah. I'll probably be covering a world cup game the night that they pick in the first round again. But I will say this on the first round pick subject, because I think it does need to be mentioned. It doesn't really happen in the NHL, but it certainly has happened in the NFL. It happens in the NBA all the time. The F them picks thing it can win you a championship flags fly forever. If you've got smart management and you know how to manage a winning window and manage what you have and are able to find players that you can develop, even if they're not high quality, high end prospects, you can still win without first round picks. I don't personally find that the Panthers trading away all their first round picks until the next world cup really bothers me all that much. Yeah. It's going to mean their prospect rankings don't look great, but, when you're trying to extend your winning window, when you have your core all basically 26, 25, 24, first round picks, guys in the 20s, 30s, who aren't going to be with your NHL team for three, four years, who you might end up using as a trade chip anyway, I'm okay with that. One, they should just hire Doug Wilson Jr. to help out in some capacity if he wants to jump on board, because uh, they definitely... If this is what they're going to stick with, uh, they definitely need to, I think, even buckle down further and get even better at drafting uh, to make use of these picks. Um, but I also don't think that they're going to be without a first round all the way till then. Uh, I think what we're going to see is there are going to be good hockey players who do not fit into this new direction that they're going and will be traded, and one of those returns might be a second or a first or a prospect where, you know, like if Denisenko isn't ready, are you trading him for a defenseman who's roughly like Denisenko, and maybe that's somebody who can give you 18 to 20 minutes a night or, you know, whether this year or next year, you have to replace Uyghur's minutes at some point. So let's get back to the point because we got sidetracked a little, which is the idea of the car wash and how much of that is the system that they had been playing and will not be playing in a whole cloth this year and the coaches, how much of that is Bill Zito and his front office's ability to find players. And as, as you said, and I've said, I don't think we have any idea, but this is going to be a great test of it because they went out and got a bunch of players, not named Matthew Kachuk, who are players who need to find a new home in their career that need to find somebody who's willing to give them a second chance and to put them in a position to succeed. And when you're a guy like Colin White, who sees what happens with Anthony Duclair, you're going to go, of course, I'm going to go there. They're going to, they could turn me into a bunch. Right. And then if they can't keep me, then I can then get paid on the market. Like Mason Marchman, Alex Wenberg, players like that. 
And if you're now on the blue line, when you know that Mackenzie Weger is not going to be there, and he ate up a ton of minutes, did a lot of the hard work, not just playing with Ekblad, but when Ekblad was out, obviously, for two seasons, or parts of two seasons, we saw what he was able to do. Now, you know what your first pair is, and your first pair is pretty good. There's nothing wrong with Ekblad and Forsling as your first pair. But what I think we are going to see, and we've talked about this already, is we know what I think Brandon Montour and Radko Gudis' ceilings are. We have a very good idea of what that is. And that's fine, but that's not going to work as a second pair for a team trying to challenge for a Stanley Cup, which is still what they're doing. I'm not going to accept the, well, we're kind of taking a year well, off and we'll be back next year. I, doesn't I, think, I think even if you're, they're being more realistic, I think the goal is get to the conference final. And, you know, I think... This is Even not a conference he, final worthy defense core. Well, not not on paper. And, you know, they'd have to show a lot, you know, a lot of question marks would have to turn into, you know, pleasant stories and underdog stories and things like that, which have happened. And, you know, we hope would happen if this is the D core coming in. But, you know, if if Zito follows pattern, um, you know, he's going to be patiently looking to improve this decor uh, in August when cap crunches become more of a thing after the second buyout window. Um, you know, when he gets a feel for, okay, is Mark Stahl's, like, good Able enough? To play? Is he, does he have any natural chemistry with anybody like Lucas Carlson or, you know... Forsling or Montour or somebody like that, like, can he be a good settled down partner for Montour? Because uh, I, I mean, at times Montour looks like he can play top four. At other points, Montour looks like he should sit for four. Well, this um, is what's interesting for me because I think Jay Fresh brought it up on Twitter and it's absolutely correct. And this is about Uyghur, but it also fits the Montour discussion for me. Uh, he tweeted uh, the day after the trade, reading some Panthers fans talk about Uyghur is proof that there is absolutely nothing a player can do over the course of several seasons that can't be undone by a few turnovers. I think that is the best summation of the history of Florida Panthers defending since 2016 that I've ever seen. And we're guilty of it, too, because we have been hard after Mike Matheson and Mark Pesek, and we gave Uyghur a love fest. Here's the thing, though. It was more than a few turnovers, and, that, and it shows that just as many times as fans exaggerate uh, how often these offensive, you know, like Eric Carlson, guys who, you know, Uyghur had the puck on his stick so much he was going to make turnovers. I get that. However, it was not, it was not being able, it was when he had the puck on his stick, getting the, like retrieving pucks or breaking them out under pressure, he usually folded especially when the pressure was increased at the end of games or against good teams and i think and that, that that was something was that we saw in the first series against tampa they keyed in on him hard in that 2021 series and no offense to mackenzie Weger, who we absolutely love and we wish the best in calgary because i mean if we take credit for anything on this show it's we were the first to tell you about mackenzie Weger being really good it's that in that series when they targeted him the lightning they kind of shut down a lot of what the Panthers were able to do. Right. And when Uyghur was playing with Ekblad, or in some cases in the second pair, I think it was with Forsling at times, when Ekblad and Sherratt were playing together, they did target him, and good teams found a tactical way to 
take away what he's really good at and then force him into those weaknesses. And then I'm not just saying the, the turnover at the end of game two this year, because yes, that's what people are going to think about, but it's not just that. And we love Mackenzie Weger, and perhaps it was the system that they were playing that told him, hey, you're going to make mistakes, but the, the highs are worth it, right? What does that look like when he plays for Daryl Sutter, a team with a lot more defensive structure and a lot more asked of you on the defensive end of things? That's something that the Flames are going to have to figure out. But I think when we're talking about Montour, it's the same sort of thing, right? Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. And, you know, I wouldn't be worried about if Montour was in Calgary either because, again, he's going to one of the best defensive teams with the best defensive core, especially, you know, through the three pairs. Um, you they know, have the most balance of yeah. really almost anybody in the league, even if I don't think I, the top end is there. The, I, I mean, I, we've been saying it for a while, like Shillington and Rasmus Anderson, like those are guys that we've been seeing for a while that we said we're going to bring the Calgary Flames into, you know, the next stage. Um, and having those types of defensemen is really helpful. Um, and, and then, and you know, I think they have when you look now for, for Florida's perspective, it is who is going to take a step that we cannot foresee taking that step right now? Because in the 21 season, we didn't expect Gus Forsling to become what he became, obviously. Right. And last year, I mean, as we said, of all of the extra defensemen they played, you know, Yuya Levy, Kirstead, Prisky, whoever. Right. Limbaum, Haig. The best of them was Lucas Carlson. He showed the most in terms of the potential to play up the lineup. And if you're asking me right now who I think can be that, if this new coaching staff can harness what Lucas Carlson was able to show in those cameos last year and end up being a quasi-second-pair defenseman, you're not answering all of the questions. You still need somebody in there, but you are... I wouldn't say making me worry less, but you are answering at least a few of the questions that we have about this defense core right now. Because the thing that worries me the most about it is the fact that I think we know pretty much categorically what Montour is at his peak, what Gudis is at his peak, what Mark Stahl is right now, what any of these other guys are, but we don't know what Lucas Carlson is. There's upside there. There's upside to Shalin. There's upside to maybe some of these other guys like John Ludwig, perhaps, if he's healthy. And that is where I think what we're talking about is who has upside. And maybe some of these defensemen I don't think have upside actually have upside when you play in a somewhat different system for Paul Maurice who's going to ask his defensemen to do different things. But I don't know. I, I think I think it's part that, but there's also a lot of other things like because they were thin on defense before they traded Uyghur, who's their second best defenseman. So, and, you know, second most minutes defenseman, uh, you know, took up, you know, did a lot of the breakouts, you know, prevented a lot of zone entries. You know, he was, you know, a, a pretty impactful player for them. So to replace that, it's going to take, you know, two things. It's going to be take some more, like one or two more bodies, I think this year that are better chances than not to be NHL defensemen. Um, I don't know how they're going to do that with, you know, if they can't get if they can't get Hornquist to, you know, retire or get traded or, you know, f go to 
Robida Island uh, that Toronto is able to get Stefan Robida to um, to just kind of disappear. Dangle that that is still a thing that's being talked about years later. It's that and Mark Donk. Those are the two yeah. great hockey memes that have been created yeah. just out of whole cloth and are and still like, being used yeah, by everybody now. They're going to either have to prove that they can Mark Donk it on defense, and it doesn't really matter who plays, which I think. You know, whether they add somebody around training camp, like maybe the Rangers and Niles Lundqvist can't come to, you know, they've there's been rumors swirling about he thinks he's NHL ready, and if they send him to AHL, he's going to, you know, cause trouble or something like that. Maybe you can do a Dennis Anko for him swap or something. And, you know, I'm just throwing out stuff. Like, that's kind of the stuff I'm hoping that they start trying to, you, you, you know, to you know, to do. Uh, a few days ago, it's kind of like Jonas Siegenthaler, who just got a five-year contract from the Devils. I'm not sure you should be giving players like that five-year contract. No, but, no, no, but, but they just a player need to like get, that, yes. They just, and like you said, can, like, even if Colin White does good and they can't re-sign him, they needed a Colin White this year to bridge the gap for some other moves and to buy them time for somebody else and you're just kind of bringing in guys who are playing well at certain aspects you're giving them those roles those minutes uh you know at a good cost they're motivated and if you can keep them great and if not you get the best out of them and they move on and i know that it's like i love jonathan huberto i think he is the premier left winger in the nhl I'm going to watch so many Calgary Flames games. I hope that they will do so Until they don't well. do well and he gets traded to Montreal, in which case yeah. that will suck. Yeah, or wherever he goes. I think, you know, it, he's going to be able to call his shot, you know, whether that's staying in Calgary or going somewhere else. I wish him the best because he's he just is so fun to watch. It's going to be hard, and I don't think, you know, it's really understood yet what Florida's missing. You know, everybody's talking about what they're getting with Kachuk, but they just lost um, the best playmaker in the NHL and one of the best transition D in the NHL. Um, that's I think that's one of the other things that we have to mention is when you trade back. somebody who is the longest tenured Panther, he was drafted in 2011, he's been here for 11 years. It's Really, really long time. Record holder, man. And like he's... he was a huge part of the, the, the leadership group in that dressing room. You know, he, he's been a, a staple of the team, for better and for worse, for years. Uh, he's been there through the absolutely awful, and he's been there through, obviously, when he had 115 points. It was a heart contender. That's a lot to trade, not just from the on-ice perspective, but off-ice, right? Now, right. Matthew Kachuk is a big presence, right? And he's going to be a big presence when it comes to press conferences in terms of being out there and on the ice. He's going to be a huge, but it's a different presence. And how does that group respond to such things? That is a, an interesting question that I think we don't know the answer to yet. We don't know what Uyghur was like in the dressing room. He had a good personality too, obviously. It's not Matthew Kachuk, but like when you trade players like that, there's the on-ice impact, but there's also what that looks like in the dressing room. And when you have a new coach coming in, you know, that also adds to it. Look, they still have Aaron Ekblad, and he's obviously Aaron Ekblad. You still have Sasha Barkov. You have all of these things. But that is a change fundamentally that I don't think you can quantify what that looks like until you see what the team is going to look like, not just off the ice, but how Paul Maurice talks about it, what Sasha Barkov right. says about it, what Aaron Ekblad says about these sorts of things. Because when you look at it, 
Barkov's been here since 2013, Ekblad since 2014. I think the number is now only four players from the bubble are still on the team, which is good because that bubble team was garbage, let's be honest. But that's a lot I, of change that's happened very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and now, you know, it's on Zito. I mean, for better or for worse, he's put his stamp on the team and he's taking the risks and he said this is better for the team. And so he's going to really reap the rewards if, if this works out. And if it doesn't, you know, it's going to be interesting, you know, how, how he's thought of. Um, but, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to see how this trade really works out. I mean, because at the end of the day, Calgary might be trading, flipping guys for draft picks, and then we have to figure out to see how long the draft picks work out and then also see how McKenzie and Weegar do on whatever teams they eventually do to see if it was worth this, this keeping them or not. This is why Steve Dangle, who I'm mentioning again, uh, does trade trees because they last forever and they're actually kind of funny when you look yeah. at it, how long they can so, go. So, I mean, but you like that Zito is willing to make these moves. You like that he's, you know, saying he didn't think that. I don't think it was we can't get it done with this leadership core. We need to move. We, we need to, you know, Uyghur and Huberto are part of the leadership core. Their contracts are up. We can't afford them. This is a good time to adjust the tempo in the room. You know, I don't, I'm not saying Huberto and Uyghur are bad in the room, but, you know, it kind of all came together where this was they're changing the way they play on the ice. They're changing kind of the way they approach the game of hockey in the locker room. They're changing, you know, the voice that's running the team in Paul Maurice. Um, you know, they're they're adding in a big vocal part of the player leadership in Kachuk. Now, I imagine he was likely to wear a letter. I think I he's mean, getting an A. I think, th yeah. I mean, it, so, it, it, I mean, you know who the C is. You know who, you know Ekblad's going to be and, an A. But you can you can read whatever you want into the con the quotes he said about you know Barkov's quiet I'm going to be loud you know all that kind of stuff I don't think that there's anything to read into it other than Barkov and Kachuk are a different fit from Barkov and Huberto and they both are going to have good effects and it's just about this one possibly because of what else the team has failed to do around Barkov. They need to give him a different type of left winger. And I just hope this one, they just let play with him. Listen, I, I agree with you. We mentioned it off the top. Like the difference between Uberto and Kachuk is pretty stark in terms of just their personalities and the way they, they view the game. And I, as we mentioned, it's about getting the most out of your stars and getting them to be better every single year, which is what has been really the secret sauce of how they went from you know, mediocre to a President's Trophy winner wasn't that Verhage and Duclair and Forsling and all these players became stars. It was that Barkov, Huberto, Ekblad were better every single year. And this is one way for Alexander Barkov, I think, to challenge him, right? You've played with this so. is your running mate for years. And they know each other. They have a telepathic understanding of each other and their games. But now you're giving Alexander Barkov another challenge. And a lot of pro athletes do really well when they need to respond to a challenge, whether it be external or, in this case, internal. And we mentioned in the last show how frustrated Sasha Barkov was at the end of the playoffs, and I've never seen him look like that or talk like that. And this, I think, will add to his motivation a little bit because 
he's gonna he doesn't have to just prove it to himself or to the marketplace i mean it's a different kind of marketplace you have to prove it to but i think he also is going to want to prove it to matthew kachuk because he's going to be a different kind of player and maybe that gets something different out of him and a better somewhat different version of sasha barkov is something that this team can use and the better sasha barkov is the higher this team's ceiling is no matter what's going on in the blue line and that's obviously a huge part of what they're doing here and i think the other element of this that I wanted to mention, and I understand why Panthers fans have been talking about this, which is the idea that, yeah, they might have cap issues this year, but next year they're going to have like $16 million in cap space before they sign Spencer Knight to whatever deal it is, and they can really do some um, things next year. But I don't really want to focus on... Be ready to be surprised for Spencer Knight's contract number. Well, I think that's another discussion that we can have at another time. But I think for me, the big thing that you got to focus on is, yes, trading for Matthew Kachuk, who's much younger, opens up your winning window a little bit. But it's not as if these players are all 20. You know, they're 26. Barkov will be 27 by the time the season starts. You do want to push to win pretty soon. And I'm not saying this team's going to be bad. I've talked with somebody who thought that they might miss the playoffs. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think this is necessarily a cup favorite now because I mean, they have defense issues that are quite massive and they're not I, as deep. But It won't be an injury excuse because they went into the season with this thin of a lineup by choice of their own contracts they oh, handed yeah, yeah. out. No, but, no, no. They, they, um, they are if not they miss the same the playoff, level of deep that they could overcome if, anything like we've yeah. seen in last year if when they, they had injuries and overcame it and were still a yeah, president's so trophy winner. They have it's, to be healthy. They, they have do to be need healthy. to be healthy. And I think, but also... When you're in the window that they're in, you're trading away first-round picks, even if I don't think that really signifies much of anything, you still I have think to try to win. I'll say, I'll say this. It hurts them in replacing Uyghur. I mean, it, the, I mean, as much as we love Huberto, and I will always love Huberto, I can't keep saying that enough, I, it's hard to talk about the, the, that, that It's hard to look at Jonathan Huberto in another uniform. It's just um, but, weird. It's easier too because they replaced it like their Kachuk was coming back. There's no like it's not like we got Shillington's contract at least or you know something like that that we can get back and be like oh this is a Uyghur replacement. Um, we don't know where that there's you know unless some of the pro- one of their prospects really overshoots their ceiling, you're not getting a Uyghur. I mean I guess that's how Uyghur became Uyghur. So. Um, you know, knock on wood, that happens. But they're going to have to get a Uyghur from outside their organization somehow. The best way to do that, especially now in the modern day where everybody's looking for those defensemen, is in the first round. You know, late in the first round, you can draft a defenseman, spend two, three years developing them. I know it doesn't sound great, but, I mean, what all the alternatives do they have when – you know, they don't have much trade capital. They don't have much cap capital. They don't have, you What's know. going to be really interesting next year, and I don't really like focusing on the next year thing because that's not what a team that has a chance to win the Stanley Cup should be talking about, but they will be in the weird position of they're not asset rich, but they will have a, a good amount of cap space with not many big cap obligations coming up. Even with the Bobrovsky deal on the books, they could have, 15 million in cap space and some space to go out and really get a defenseman. But I don't know if that's necessarily 
how they want to do it. Now, they're going to have to, you know, find ways to make things work when you don't have a ton of prospect capital to trade. You're going to have to be creative. And, I mean, Bill Zito did, as we said, create the first NHL sign-and-trade ever. So creativity is something I guess he can figure out. But I do think we have to focus on this year, too, just as much as the future and saying, oh, they might sign Sanheim, they might sign Gavrikov. That's fine. I get that. But this is a team that still has a chance to win right now. And it would be a mistake. It would be a mistake to take to take the year off, so to speak. Not saying that they're not going to try to commit, but if the goal is anything like we just need to get to the playoffs and then see what happens, I think that bar is too low and could possibly lead to step backwards for the organization. I think what they need to do is say we need to get to the playoffs and win a few series. We need to win multiple series in the playoffs. We need to get to playoff speed and show that we are a threat in the playoffs, you know, and be a cup cup contender, contend for the cup, go for it. And that's what they should be doing. And to me, you know, that just means making sure that they ice a better defense, that they, you know – their coaching staff is doing what they were hired to do, gets them prepared for it, that they win enough games in the regular season, that they're ready to pounce on any opportunity to make the team better, figure you know, figure out how to jump through the hoops and find the loopholes, whether it's trading for somebody who's going to be injured and makes a decent amount of money so they can stay above the cap and just throw somebody else on LTIR, however they do it. You know, it's up to them. It, it's it, their it job, and they put themselves here. Well, no, no, they have to figure it out. They always knew that this was going to be a year when the cap was going to be a challenge because you yeah. had the biggest of the Yandel buyout money. You had Hornquist, who is now a fourth liner, making $5.3 million. This was going to be a challenge, but they have people in their front office who plan for this sort of thing, who game out scenarios. That's their entire – it's Braden Birch, their Maybe. director of hockey administration. He does this all the time, so – Maybe, you know, the Stahl brothers are so motivated to be working with each other and in Florida and with this team that, you know, <laughs> they just turn back the clock. That'd be cool. I mean, um, I want to I say this just as we start to wrap this up on the Panthers' perspective, which is Matthew Kachuk is going to be beloved by Panthers fans instantly. I mean, he's, he, he's going to have high expectations. Well, he's yeah. going to have huge expectations, but also I think just from a player relationship to the fans yeah. sort of thing. Jonathan Huberto, I mean, if you go to games, we've been to games. All of you who are listening have been to games in Sunrise. Jonathan Huberto would what? Would be the second most popular jersey behind Barkov out there? But you also know when you go to Panthers games in Sunrise, you see jerseys of crazy players that you shouldn't really see, like, there are people that have Ryan Lomberg jerseys. There are people that have Sean Thornton jerseys. We see who Panthers fans get attached to, right? Remember, yeah, this, I mean, that's this is, years ago. This is the kind of thing we're talking about. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm hoping he. They did, they're saying his number is 19, but he. The only thing I heard from him is that it's 19 for now. Oh, he's going. He's going to get seven when you know. I think he just ends up paying Gudis for seven now. Oh, he now. should. I mean, Radford, because do, jerseys do, only do the favor to everyone. Now. 
Yeah, I think they'll I think they'll change it before the pre-order becomes an order. Yeah, uh, but but in terms of like losing Jonathan Huberto, who's a fan favorite, to replace him with Matthew Kachuk, who is going to really I think embrace this challenge and is the kind of player that this fan base by and large gravitates to. You know, yeah, the I kind mean, of style. I, I'm not the biggest like I've never really been a Kachuk fan because he's never been on like my team, so it's you know he's the guy that you re- really gets under your skin um and everything and i do worry about the foot speed in a game that gets faster every you year saw you saw what know? happened in the playoffs when the oilers turned the heat up and what yeah. happened when the flames just sort of melted away he had he had a first a great first game and then everything else was you know people are saying that huberto disappeared well chuck kind of disappeared too in the playoffs he he, um, he did just but i think the, the oilers thing for the panthers is can they find a way to get the best out of Kachuk at the speed they're trying to play and, at because there is one other thing that happened with the Panthers and we didn't really talk about it because it got buried underneath the Kachuk trade is Paul Maurice hired what's his name Campo Campen Paul Compen I don't I almost Campen, called him Krampus Compen. and that would have been a problem but Compen Compen I I whatever it is it's a Paul Maurice assistant hey I I can't I can't say how much I don't I don't want Paul Maurice Winnipeg assistance and specifically Charlie Huddy. But if this if if they're announcing this without Charlie Huddy, I'm hoping it's because Huddy's not coming. But that means there's still a defensive coach, which I think, you know, I I don't know if there's a defensive coach that'll make me feel comfortable with the exact defensemen that are on the roster right now. But I think that there's. A, they could hire I don't know who they are but they could hire defensive coach coaches that can make this roster D roster better because you know what we're talking about is Montour was great in the other old system because it allowed him to constantly be moving we talked about when he wasn't moving in past podcasts that he had trouble keeping up with play in zone we talked know, Keeping all the time about the, the key to the Panthers' success in recent years from a tactics perspective was the players who could get beaten when they're not moving their feet were always moving their feet. And right. in this particular system, you're going that to have players who are not good when their feet are standing still are going to now be standing still and not a moving bit, a lot more. Yeah, a bit more. Yeah, at least a bit more. And I think, you know, Gustav Forsling can handle that. I think that's going to it's going to help Ratko Gudis maybe even. Um, I think Lucas Carlson will be fine with it. Mark Stahl will be fine with it. Um, Eklad will be fine with it. But Montour is the one where it's like, okay, if he's not picking it up by November, December, do you flip him for somebody else? Like or that's for, one way to get cap or, space. Or you know, next off season, do you flip him for a pick? Because you know, it's like, all right, he's not going to work in this system, but he's going to work in somebody else's system, and they're going to give us a first because he'll work in New Jersey. Hint, yeah. hint. <laughs> well, yeah. because I mean, I I I'm going to take the over under on when Andrew Burnett's the head coach of the Devils by, and I will go with uh, December first. <laughs> anyway. Another discussion for another Trying day. to get rid of Lindy Ruff. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't believe get Lindy Ruff. To get rid of Lindy Ruff, basically. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think I think we've covered pretty much every angle from Florida's perspective. As as I said, this is a bold trade that <sighs> yeah, is, is hard to analyze right now. Like what the full impacts are going to be because we need to see it. 
I'm glad that the Panthers are taking taking gambles and taking risks and are willing to put it out there. And Matthew Kachuk's going to be a great player for them. Yeah, and you know in the room that they're saying if we do this, we have to go out and and find some magic on defense. We like we make our lives a lot harder on defense. And they they said, "Okay, we're willing to take on that challenge." So, I'm I'm hoping they're able to step up. Uh I I'm I'm going to miss Huberto and Uyghur. I've kind of accepted that they weren't going to be here past the year. I don't know if I've accepted that it you know, given how hard it's going to be to find defensemen right now, if it wasn't worth keeping Uyghur just to go for it and maybe see how the season started. Um, they changed a lot of their leadership core. They changed a lot of their roster. Um, they're definitely not just running it back. So um, that's they're something I asked still. for. They're not standing um, still. And they are addressing, I think, what they clearly view as the need, which was, we could play offense at this incredible level, but we saw in the playoffs in those 10 games that got us a series, but when the really good team stepped up, we weren't there, and we have to do a little something different. And whether the different they have chosen to pursue is what will win them, what they need to be winning is an open question, and there's still a lot we have to know. And yeah. I'm saying the early season for this team is going to be fascinating because – I'm going to get their opening night when they play the Islanders, and we're really not going to know what we're going to see. And normally I'm not a preseason guy. I pretty much ignore preseason hockey. I don't think it tells you anything. But I think preseason this year is actually going to be worth watching because you're going to get the seeds, at least, of what Paul Maurice and the front office see in terms of how they want the play to change, where they need the adjustments to be made, and whether a lot of the things that we assumed were truisms of the Panthers the last two years at least, certainly not 2019, but truisms of the last two years, how much of that is still true? And for a team that right. won the President's Trophy, you don't normally see them make the number of changes that they made. But there is something to be said that if you keep your team somewhat fresh every year and not stale, that you get more out of it. You have to change at well, least some amount of your team every year. Yeah, and, and I, I don't, again, as much as you want to say it could be an overreaction because they've, they've gone too far that way, I don't think it's an overreaction because it's such a quick change in, in perspective. I think that they really had these thoughts um, when the they were going through the when Bill Zito and company change. do something like this, well, you can tell there's a plan and there's actual well, ideas just, behind it. Can I just finish? Yes. Bill, this is on – it's not an overreaction. It's Bill Zito and his front office decided that, you know, they were going to let Brunette cruise control on that rush-only offense, on this, on – and they decided to keep things the same and not try to mess with stuff. And that led them down to this path. And they, I think they, when they made that decision, they knew if we don't get there doing this, we're going to have to go the other way. We're going to have to really insulate this group with, you know, the group that we keep with these types of players, with this support, with the coaching staff, who's going to prepare them, who's going to you know, know how to push buttons, pull levers, make matchups, change matchups in a series. Um, and you can argue whether his past results are on the good side of 
average or the bad side of average, but you know he he's not going to sit there frozen on the bench. He's not going to lack confidence and lack assuredness, um, which is because I think you know a lot of the frustration we saw, a lot of the lack of confidence we saw, emanated off of that and radiated off of that coaching staff to the point where you know it showed up on the ice in Washington, in in Tampa. Um, and the one thing you, you have to hope for is that that's not going to be the case this year and that the energy, the ability to play a slower game, to play more structured happens in the regular season. And I don't want to say that, you know, Matthew Kachuk brings some of Calgary to it, to this team, but that's kind of what they need. Um, Calgary was, you know, a flawed team. Uh, in different ways than Florida, but they were also a little better at things than Florida, like, um, you know, playing a little more structured, playing a you little more... You trusted Calgary to win a one nothing game in the playoffs or a 2-1 game in the or, playoffs. Or you did win, not trust the Panthers to win one of those. Or to win any series, you know, like, it. the beginning of the games didn't have to go their way, or, they, you know, they didn't have to... They could you could say that Calgary could beat teams that were better than them could, you know, find luck and kind of grind yeah, out. I mean, like the Panthers didn't have to go, you know, the flames, you know, when they went down four one, they would obviously, you know, that's bad, but it's not like the Panthers would see a challenge at four one and go, Oh, okay. Now we're ready. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like for, for as crazy as those comebacks were, I think maybe sometimes you could see it authored a little complacency. Like, yeah, no, we know we can come back and beat them. And, like, yeah, that's fine. It's great. It's fun and all, but it's not the way you want to play. And no matter how much Andrew Burnett said they didn't want to play like that, they still played like that. I do want to shift to the, the Calgary perspective here because it would be fair. It wouldn't be fair, I should say, that we don't talk about the Flames in this. And I have to say, you know, I thought once it was clear Kachuk wanted to leave that they needed to tear the thing down and try again. But to get, obviously, these two players who are very good – it's a great win for Bradshaw Living. It's a great win for a market that needs it after, you know, we talked all that time about Columbus and Ottawa needing a win as a market. Calgary gets it. Now, the conclusion I've come to with this is the Flames kicked the can down the road. They found a way to kick the can down the road in terms of admitting either we need to start over or we're going to keep this group together and try to win it as long as, you know, as long as we possibly can. And... I'm glad Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger are saying, yeah, of course we'll re-sign here because you know what? They have to. Any other signal from them would be disastrous to the marketplace and create a huge amount of anxiety. I, I, I also think that, you know, they kick the can down on the road on losing Kachuk. I mean, it that will eventually, I think fans are going to probably feel a little... Like, it helps to cushion that knowing, okay, we got Huberto and we got Uyghur, and, I mean, yeah, they got a first, like, maybe four years from now, but, you know, who cares? Um, it's still a first. They got a prospect, you know, in Cole Schwinn, who's not terrible. Um, they got a meme, <laughs> sadly. Yes. Um, but for, you know, so I think they kicked a lot of things down the curve, and if they – they're also a team that is more likely than the Panthers 
to say, listen, we can take on these longer-term deals because if we win a cup in the next four years, we can have these bad contracts in the next couple. Like, we need to give this market a cup. We need to give them, we need to get over the hump, um, get to a Stanley Cup, you know, win a cup. And for, for me, I think tree living isn't going to, you know, be reckless with it if he can't really sign them to a realistic long-term deal that he's willing, that he thinks, you know, can keep the team competitive and win a cup with them, he's going to probably trade him at the trade deadline when his cap hits like, you know, $2 million or whatever it is prorated, get a huge haul for him and, and, and go from there. Um, but, you know, it's, I Watch think it's Jonathan Huberto, LA yeah. King, everybody. But I mean, like, if they're able to convince Huberto to be like, okay, yeah, we'll do 10 million for eight years, you know, I think that's going to be something they they might be, you know, hurting with the last couple of years when he's 36, 37, 38, but maybe not. Maybe, I mean, we've seen how more athletic he's become and how you know he's gone from scrawny to a lot bigger a lot thicker a lot better skater you know it, it might we, we don't know you know if that that achilles injury comes back and slows him down when he gets older we don't know but you know it florida wasn't able wasn't going to do that contract same with Uyghur. Um, because of their, I think, worries about Uyghur with the puck under pressure in playoff situations. So, um, And here's the thing I want to say about Mackenzie Uyghur and those turnovers. It is Florida, and that is a very specific market when it comes to the pressure you have from the fans and the pressure you have from the media. And Matthew Kachuk joked about, you know, hey, there's more media here than than I thought there would be. I, I guess they cloned George Richards. I mean – I wouldn't mind that. George is awesome, but I guess they cloned him. I also forgot to mention our friend Aaron Brown. Uh, I should have mentioned her when I was talking about the, uh, the Panthers media contingent of David George and Jameson, and I forgot to mention her, and that's a, that is an oversight on my part, and I'm sorry for that. But, you know, Calgary is a much different place, not just from the obvious, but also there is a whole lot more pressure on you, and the media is on you all the time. This is basically my way of saying there's no Eric Francis in the Florida media core, but there is in Calgary. So, like, will those players respond under that sort of pressure? I don't know, because when you're in Florida, you get accustomed to a certain level of scrutiny. And when you then go to another team in a different kind of situation, as in the Flames are, and I think a lot of hopes are going to be pinned from that fan base on those two players because, you know, they lost their two superstars, and now this is what they have back. This is what they're holding on to, right? You know, we can still yeah. be what we I, think we can be. Yeah. I mean, but I think, you know, for them, they're going to get rid of Lucic's cap hit when they when they when Huberto's new deal comes in. That's going to give them some more. And room. Sean Monaghan. Yeah. They're going to, yeah. I mean, between that's Huberto's contract right there, not to mention that. You know the con the cap that you're talking about already involves six million of Huberto's hit there, so you know I think that they, again, they're much more able to take this cap hit and say screw years six, seven, and eight because look at the, you know they're 
age on cap friendly isn't 24, 25, 26. It's like 33, 34, you know, 30, 30. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got Backlund, you've got, you know, Toffoli's older. You've got, you know, Tanev, Jacob Markstrom's older. Like, they're an older team than Florida And they wanted And they wanted to commit to Goudreau. You know that they're willing to commit to, you know, pay a free agent uh, contract to a scoring winger. Um, And... You know, we've, uh, I mean, why hockey thing that we've always said since um, the beginning is it's Florida's always needed goal scoring wingers, but they're also always the first thing that go in around the league, like when teams have to dismantle and stuff. Like, it, it makes sense to not get too many so, of I them. Mean, it's or, too early to say but, this, obviously, because you need okay. to see how the Flames actually play, but this time next year, is Jonathan Huberto a Calgary Flame? Why not? I mean... I, do, I agree with you, why not? But I don't, if, like, if you he, just, you don't know at this point. If he, I think he's going to go in and give it a real shot, knowing I mean, the, knowing that he might be able to even get out and get to his preferred destination... Uh, whether it's Montreal or not, who knows? Obviously, that's the easiest connection to make because every every French Canadian of pro of high profile says, "I want to be able to play in Montreal one day." Because if they don't, it's going to be hard to come home. So, you know how how much he wants to do that based on what Montreal is willing to pay, where Montreal is on the rebuild, you know his, you know whether he wants to actually play there or not. But he'll be able to pick anywhere he wants. So I think he, him and Uyghur are definitely going to go in open-minded. And if it works, I think that there's – and they get their numbers met and, you know, they feel like they're a part of the leadership group, I think they would sign there. Oh, obviously. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason to think that they wouldn't. It's just a matter of saying, are they going to right now? And yeah. I wonder, though, somewhat, like, how – this is still a GM – that is scrambling somewhat. I mean, he saved face with this trade, but he still has to scramble a little bit. And there's still that external, you know, insecurity because of what has been said by Gaudreau and Kachuk and what's implied. So like, is he willing to do a contract where he has to pay a little more right now to get this locked in and to assuage concerns, not just from, you know, the fan base, but also to lock down his own job security because there still is plenty to say about that. Yes. Possibly. I mean, I kind of see Tree Living the same way I see Zito in maybe Zito's getting out ahead of it, you know, because the negotiations for Huberto and Uyghur and Huberto almost famously uh, didn't really get off the ground. So, like, there's not, you know... I look back on that, it's that not, comment that Bill Zito made when he was talking about, you know, Huberto and Uyghur extensions, and I said I had talks with the agent, and he didn't say much more than that. And in hindsight, it maybe doesn't mean anything, but in hindsight, it looks... I don't want to say suspicious, but you go back and then you go, oh, okay. But, I mean, I think it's... I think what you have to read is into this is, you know, whether you want to or not, but... You kind of knew what Huberto's number was going to be, you know, at least going to be. Like, they were going to be asking for most likely more than Barkov, and you were probably going to have to convince them if you wanted him to stay to take Barkov's deal. Uh, because and even Barkov's. Then, I don't think yeah. that giving Huberto but Barkov's deal would have made sense. That's not something. I mean, you can. 
you have to be able to demonstrably say now that after this trade, it's quite clear the Florida Panthers did not have any intention of having Huberto sign for nine and a half or higher for eight years. Um, yep, they said it off it, the top, and we're going to say it again, and and that's I mean, definitely the, something you can and say. And when it comes to thing. when it comes to Uyghur, I think it was just man, there was just no way that you know Uyghur hasn't made like, you know Huberto at least got some early money um, at his deal and stuff. It's it wasn't you know I, I think Uyghur really left a little more money on the table. Um, and so I think Uyghur's definitely going to want to try to get seven million, as close to seven million a year cap on a competitive team as he can. And you know, I, I think, you know, I think there's a better chance Uyghur ends up in Ottawa than Huberto in Montreal. It's a worthy, worthy bet. But I will say this: um, November the nineteenth. Well, that's going to be an interesting day. Oh, it's going to be hard. That's, that's going to be, be a real like, like I don't. I'm not much a fan of the, you know, the, the videos, you know, thank you for all. The Uberto one's going to be pretty emotional, though, I have to think. That one's, that one's going to be interesting. Yeah. And then what's really funny is 11 days later, they go to Calgary. So yeah. that's going to be fascinating. The really funny part about it is, is that both Calgary games are on back-to-backs. The, 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 the first Calgary game's on the front end, and then the second one's on a back end. It's a really interesting thing. And they, but they get it. But I think the other thing that's good about it is it's not like they're going to wait to get it done. It's going to be done eventually, and it's going to be done quickly. So they can get that all out of their head now, get the emotion out of it, which is going to be tough, and then we can go out and play hockey, and that's what they have to do. The Gaudreau stuff is later, so that, that drags a little more into the season. And I think for the Panthers, that, that schedule benefit actually gives them a little bit of, a, a little bit of an assist. As far as for Uyghur and Huberto, I, I think it, and, you know, for my, as a Panthers fan, my case too, I think it's amazing. It's so much better we got this done with now um, because the you already hear it now. Oh, well, the Panthers weren't going to win with a core of Barkov and Huberto. That just wasn't going to work. Or, like, you know, Uyghur just, you know, Uyghur was, is, you know, garbage, all this stuff. Like, the fan base was whether rightfully or wrongfully i think the fan base was pretty much at the end of huberto and Uyghur, or they were ready you know as soon as they were traded they're ready to be like all right they're wearing different shirts time you know the jerry seinfeld different laundry type of uh you know bit um you know we hate this guy now um and i i don't know how much i mean i don't really believe a lot of that i think they could have won with Uyghur and Huberto. I think it was just, I think it would have changed the that, whole. It was just, it's one of those things where you see an opportunity, you come at it with your front office and they go, we have to try to do this. Yeah. You're not going to get this opportunity again. And they go out and do it. And I cannot begrudge them for that. And I cannot begrudge them for saying but I don't this think, is what we believe in. I don't think in. it has anything to do with the strip club or Huberto oh, and Uyghur's no. personality or stop. But, or whether if, if you're insinuating that there is there is too much to be read into things sometimes, but, and in that and, case, you are reading too much but, into it, please. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like I think you know, given what some of the underpinnings of the aftermath of this trade is. You know, just because Kachuk represents so much of what was missing during the playoff run, and and Uyghur especially, maybe is where a lot of the anger from the missed opportunity is directed at. It just felt like this. 
if this happened later, it maybe would have tarnished a little bit of Huberto and Uyghur's, you know, reputation and, and legacy, or at least how, how they're remembered. Um, because it, I, I can't believe that there's so much just, I mean, as far as I'm will, as happy I am for the trade and everything, like, I still think it's a huge gamble for both sides. It's a great hockey trade. It's a great, you know, cap error trade, but you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with Huberto as a player. I don't think there's anything wrong as Uyghur as a player. It's just about a preference for long-term contracts with 30-year-old guys and um, see, seeing that that might be the getting a Kachuk and changing their cap structure might be the only way for Florida to have five or six cracks at it um, because they didn't think that they were going to get it on that one more crack if they ran it back this year. And I, we can, you can disagree with whether that interpretation from the front office is correct, but they do have the courage of their convictions. This is not a, a team that stands idly by and watches as other teams do big things. Like we said, you know, are they going to be creative? Are they going to be bold? And well, I don't think you could be much bolder than this. Like, You've, you've hit the ceiling in terms of how bold you can probably get in the cap era when the cap is right. flat. They've done what, you know, I, I think. And, and to address anything about, you know, the other way of did they not treat Huberto and Uyghur with enough respect and everything? Um, I, we don't, we don't I think know the, what goes on behind I, the scenes. You yeah, pointed but, out when, when, when David Dwork tweeted that Huberto was frustrated with how the trade went down. Of course he would be. He's been a Panther for his right. entire life, and he was expecting to be a Panther for his entire career. And then he gets traded to the Flames. Right. I, I mean, I, of course I, he'd be frustrated with how that goes down. I think you know? sometimes, I yeah, and and I'm interested to, I mean, we'll never know this publicly, and, you know, unless there's a change of agency, we're never going to be able to even guess at it publicly. But, you know, what are his thoughts on Alan Walsh right now, and how much did Alan Walsh's noted bull bullishness and uh aggressive stance in negotiations hurt hurt them or make zito proactively say if there's an opportunity to get a jonathan huberto like winger that i can get locked in long term younger i'm going to do it because i i'm not going to be able to win this is going to be a tough negotiation i'm not going to be able to get what I need for the cap situation. I mean, you also have to look back, I guess, somewhat at the Barkoff negotiations, which last year went on longer than we thought. I never had any worry that it was going to get done, but it went on a little bit longer. It grinded a little longer. And when you think about the Kachuk situation and how quickly it all came together, what lessons did Zito take from that negotiation and apply to this? It's something worth looking into. And again, it's not something Zito's probably ever going to say publicly. But it's something that I think, and maybe we're connecting dots too much, but it's something that I look into and go, he's given out three contracts of the many he's given out as GM of the Florida Panthers that have been longer than three years. Bennett was four, Barkoff and Kachuk were eight. And I think that when he gives out a contract of that length, he has to be really, really certain of it. He's very mindful of what long-term deals can do. He has to deal with a couple of them on the books that he inherited. So, and I'll just say that the biggest contract that people say was maybe uh, a little too soon was the Sam Bennett one where 
you know, he went long-term and big money on 14, 15 regular season games and, you know, an unsuccessful playoff series of Sam Bennett and then signed him to that deal. So, I mean, I, I, I was fine with it because it's not a deal you couldn't get out from under if you didn't have to, but, you know, and it's one of those... they might have to next year or, some, well, or somewhat it's, soon. Well, it's interesting, but that's a next-year question. And I think we've covered just about every angle in this trade. We spent an hour 30 talking I, about I, it. And I just want to just think, wrap up by just saying, I think Calgary did a very good job to say, listen, we could get a lot of question marks, but we we got a top line forward, we got a top pair defenseman right now. We got a question, we got a question mark and a half moving forward in the in the pick and the prospect. You know, the, you can't say that. You could have done better. Like, no, they could not have possibly I done better in the situation. I mean, either. unless St. Louis is giving them, you know, opening the door and saying, literally, take whatever you want and as much as you want, or you know, same to Carolina. Like, you know, apparently the Carolina prospect package or package in general was centered around Martin Natchez, and then you're going. I think they would take the deal they got this yeah, way and, over that. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can't imagine St. Louis is going to have better players to offer. Well, I offer. mean, if they centered something around Cairo and what have you, I mean, I saw one rumor that was Cairo and Krug, but then Cairo's a great young player, but the Krug's got the contract. So then you're going, in this deal, yeah, we don't have long-term certainty, but we do have players who are really good right now, and we have the flexibility. If it goes pear-shaped, we can trade them and get insane value for these players right. in the trade deadline. Like, that's... Yeah. It is flexibility, even if that's at the expense of any long-term certainty for a market, I think, that wants it. I do want yeah, to say one the... other thing before we go away, which is we were joking about the uh, Panthers trading for Jesse Pugliarvi. Uh Clearly, that didn't happen. He just signed a one-year deal for $3 million with Edmonton. Well, that means he's... Does that mean he's a UFA after? Or is he, is he still... Let me look have... at Cap Friendly. I don't think so. The answer to that question is no. He's an RFA with Arbrights next year. Okay. The dance continues. The dance we'll continues. We'll see you soon. The, the we'll Oilers see you soon. Gonna... So, I mean, just the one other thing on the cap situation, I, I want to make clear that, um, like, they really only have three things they can do to create cap space unless they find a new rule in the CBA, which I guess is theoretically possible. Uh, they've already done that. Is either you trade or buy on Hornquist? Possible, well, but I'm not I, sure it's likely. I know you would do it, but... they can't. I, I was wrong... Um, they can't buy out Hornquist because Matthew Kachuk's arbitration doesn't count for Florida. There so is they another get... buyout window later. But it, it's only for if, you're, if your team, if there's an arbitration that on your team. Got it. Okay. So, so and trading since Hornquist Calgary is... Signed, Calgary signed Kachuk, so they get, so that's their Oh, they get that. Okay, yeah, because of the sign and trade. Yes. Yeah. So that's a very tricky thing to have to obviously go through. Uh, and so they can trade Hornquist or they have to, you know, trade it. They have to do like a like for like, like, uh, you know, Denisenko is going to be a rookie contract. So they trade Denisenko for, you know, like we said, a defenseman in a similar situation. Or, or like the other thing they could do is do Hornquist for an LTI contract, basically. Like, yeah. and that would not be something I think they'd want to do, but it's something they could do. They're not going to have issues being under the cap. Like, what you see on Cap Friendly right now is they're going to LTI Duclair. They're going to bring Shalin down because he's on a, a, on a waivers exempt contract. Yeah. 
and they can have Delzato in underneath it for seven defensemen, and you're done. Your, your cap situation's solved. But that doesn't solve your problem down the road of Duclair. What do you do with him? How long is he out? It's a question that they're going to have to figure out because unless, as you said, they're moving a player they don't want to move, like maybe Montour or Bennett or something like that, which is unlikely. But, you know, that's the way you create the cap space. And we'll see what they do. I mean, cap space is very, very hard to come by. And they always knew this year was going to be tricky in that regard. It gets easier after this, but it's going to be tricky. Uh, that was an... That was a crazy trade. And I also want to say, by the way, breaking into that 11 o'clock on a Friday night in July when all the other insiders are at the cottage, the NHL needs to understand that you need showmanship with moves like this. you got to get the people talking, and you can't I do mean, it when your insiders are at the cottage drinking whatever they're drinking and everybody else is going to bed. That's, that's the second time I was up at the lake and the Panthers did a crazy trade like that. It was Sam Reinhart last year, so... I'm not going back there again. <laughs> well, also, I mean, you see, even my co-host went to the cottage, and I don't do such yeah. things because I don't turn my brain off when, you know, my work is also what I love to do. I don't turn my brain off, even though I was turning my brain off Friday night. There wasn't much on. I'm watching, you know, YouTube videos, and then I see the tweet come over the timeline. I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to bed here. And I didn't really go to sleep all that well on Friday night into Saturday because I'm just thinking about this trade and all the angles of it, and you get your adrenaline going, right? It's just like, wow. So yeah. we're hopefully now towards the end of the crazy moves for the Panthers this offseason, but after what Bill Zito did, I'm not going to make any pronunciations that are definitive in any way, shape, or form. So uh, we'll, we'll see what comes next. I'm going to get more people on the show to talk about this Kachuk trade, perhaps from Calgary, just to talk about the angles of it, because I don't think that even in an hour and a half, we did this trade much justice. So, no, I mean, there's, yeah, because it's, it's not only about what the difference is in Kachuk's game and stuff, but it's not only can he bring out better stuff than Barkov, but can Barkov keep him at the level that he's at? Because, you know, if you, this was a big step for him this year in production and and his ability. So you're going to have to keep him progressing through the final years of his, you know, development to where he becomes, you know, the superstar that quote unquote generational player Zito called him. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this all comes together, how it all gels and, you know, how often um, we're going to see, this team succeed playing the style that they think that they can. I have to say also, it's crazy to think that here we are, we're recording this July 26th, and Nazem Kadri and John Klingberg haven't been signed yet. It's weird-ass offseason. That's what I'm saying. I mean, a lot of people are, like, saying, well, what, it doesn't matter that the Panthers need D. It's July. Well, I mean, yes, as in they don't have to make all their moves now, but, you know, since it's the aftermath of the trade, you can talk about, well, the aftermath of the trade is they need defense, and uh, there's they're going to have to be in one of those patient waters kind of deal where it's going to be, you know, the 11th hour. Some free agents are going to have to decide whether they're going to keep sitting out or go to the start of the camp so they have a good chance of succeeding and playing well in a lineup, who's going to, you know, who you can kind of get at and uh, convince to take a cheaper deal or something to come to Florida. Basically, at this point, what you're banking on with the Panthers is, in some ways, not all the way, but some ways, you're banking on what Tampa's doing, which is, hey, you, you want to win a cup. 
take a league minimum or close to a league minimum vet deal, come here, you know you're going to have a chance, which is apparently what might happen with Phil Kessel with the Lightning. I mean, that would be hilarious. I have to that admit. That would be hilarious. That would be really funny. I, yeah, I Phil Kessel's and, and, still out there. And, yeah. and I have to say, though, like Matthew Kachuk, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought into the kayfabe of, uh, yes, I hated Edmonton, but now I hate Tampa more. Good for you. Uh, but, prove, <laughs> prove it when you play. That's all I but, ask for. But all I say is everybody, you know, that's an easy. Some of the no, that's a people crowd really, he, Well, yeah, the good thing with Matthew he Kachuk, say, he, he very much understands the assignment. It's a, there's a little wrestling in him. He knows what he has to do. And that is a very different kind of player than usually plays in Florida. Do you, you know? do you think that you could convince PK Subban to come to, for one million, or something like that? I mean, if it's league min, <laughs> maybe, but I don't think he's got anything left anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but it's like you know, it's gonna be something crazy like that. I mean, they're gonna I snake. They're gonna possible. snake Noah Dobson or Rasmus Sandin or somebody like that. I mean, Eric Brandstrom. We'll, we'll see how creative they can get, and I would love to see if they can be creative. But I also want to say this as we wrap up this show. Starting kind of, uh, we started a certain way, we're going to end a certain way. As much as I, I think we need to really talk about all the Hockey Canada nonsense and all that's going on with that issue, and you will see me constantly talk about it as long as and much as I can, I do like talking about the Matthew Kachuk trade a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make me feel icky inside to have to do that, and it doesn't make me go, all right, I need to go on uh, YouTube and watch videos of puppies. Not yet, at least. So that is it for this incredibly crazy uh, show after the incredibly crazy trade. But more is to come, for sure, because I don't think we're going to even be done with the fallout of this by the time we have a trading camp. So thank you very much for listening. Good night and good hockey.